Section 22 of Stupor Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick II by Lionel Alshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 11, Fire and Sword, Part 2. Frederick now cast his eyes on Bologna, which was his most formidable enemy in central Italy. Once this city was crushed, he would be practically the undisputed master of the Romagna. But if he marched directly against Bologna, he would leave Faenza in his rear, and Faenza was a sturdy and ancient enemy. He accordingly decided to demolish this town before proceeding to the greater task of reducing Bologna. In his letters he declared that this would merely be a matter of a few days, but he sadly underestimated the city's power of resistance, for Faenza, though small, was the most strongly fortified of any town of the Romagna. His army was now increased by the arrival of men from Germany, Tuscany, and some Ghibelline towns of Lombardy. Rudolf of Habsburg brought a band of sturdy Swiss mountaineers to serve under the imperial banner, himself all unconscious of the destiny that had marked him out as Frederick's successor to an empire from which the present glories were to have departed. Frederick's illusion about the easy capture of Faenza was quickly dispelled, and gave place to a firm resolution to subdue the city by a steady blockade when more active methods had failed. Faenza, he wrote to the judiciaries of his kingdom, is the one hindrance to check the wheel of our conquest. We must have it when the spring comes and Bologna as well. Our presence will not be needed afterwards. The war is coming to an end, so we know you will not object to give us aid. Money was urgently required, and the long-suffering kingdom had to supply the want. We have stinted ourselves rather than lay unwonted burdens upon you. The subsidy we now expect is less than usual. It is to be raised from the churches, the clergy, the barons, and our domains. When October came, the men of Faenza fondly hoped to see the imperial army strike its camp and abandon the siege until the winter was past, for such was the almost inevitable custom in Italian warfare. But Frederick resolved to endure the rigors of the season. We shall not stir, he wrote to the king of France, either for winter or for hail or for rain, until we have utterly confounded our rebels." The besieged were alarmed by the sight of a regular city of huts which the emperor was building to shelter his army. Food was running short, and many attempted to leave the town, while the women and children were driven out since they were useless in the work of defense. Frederick, however, would allow no one to pass through his lines. Let them go back to their husbands and masters, whom I denounce as guilty of treason before God and man. They shall have no mercy, since they have showed none to me. He recalled the injuries they had done to him in past years. They murdered one of my knights who was clad in imperial armor, thinking they had killed me their lord. They also mutilated the palfrey upon which my mother was riding through their city, venting their rage on a brute beast. They paid no respect to her royal rank or even to her sex. The women returned to their homes, and an embassy of aged men came to the emperor, and asked for leave to quit the city. Since they would not in prosperity return to their allegiance, he said, 
I will give no heed to their cry in the time of trouble. Even his allies were disturbed by the continuation of the siege during the winter months. Como sent envoys to him and requested that her soldiers, who were serving under him, might be allowed to return. They will return to you in our company, he replied, when we have gained over Faenza the victory that we shall, without doubt, speedily win. Let not our lieges live at home in ease, he wrote to the Florentines, when our person is toiling in a cuirass with frost and ice around. Frederick might be a Sybarite by choice, but his senses never gained an ascendancy over his will, and when the need arose he could cast off his luxurious habits and lead the rigorous and simple life of an old campaigner. We can believe that his pretty dears were not with him during this long winter siege. The months sped by and Faenza looked in vain for an army of relief. The Lombards and the Bolognese were occupied with their own affairs and unwilling to leave the shelter of their walls until the winter had passed. Day by day her provisions dwindled. Her walls were crumbling to pieces, undermined in every direction by the emperor's engineers. Finally, on April 14, 1241, the gallant little city surrendered. Her starving citizens knelt before their lord and begged for some measure of mercy. They had little hope of escaping torture and death, for Frederick was no gentle enemy to rebels, and the town had defied him for nearly eight months and had worked him much injury in the past. The emperor, however, astonished his friends and his defeated enemies by forgiving the citizens for all their offenses. Probably he remembered that the men of Faenza, alone among the Guelphs of northern Italy, had refused to join in the conspiracy which had ended in the rebellion of his son. The victor, with generous clemency, spared them, writes Matthew Paris, by doing which he gained the affections of many, for when he saw that he had at length triumphed over his rebellious subjects, then his generous blood inclined to mercy, according to the words of the poet, the foe destroyed, the noble lion rests content, the battle o'er, his fiery rage is fully spent, wolves, bears, and minor beasts by baser feeling led, with vengeance still unsated, prey on their victims dead. The emperor was evidently in a merciful mood at this time, for in the same month Benevento, a papal stronghold in his kingdom, surrendered to his captains after a protracted siege, and the same clemency was extended to its citizens by his orders. There seemed some probability that Frederick would soon be called upon to wage a more glorious struggle than this desultory warfare against rebellious towns, a struggle whose successful issue would earn him the gratitude of Europe for all time and make him truly the saviour of Christendom, for this was the period of the Tartar invasion which had inundated Russia, Poland, and Silesia, and was now pouring over Hungary, leaving terrible devastation in its train. The number of the barbarians was estimated at half a million, and their cruelty and ferocity was beyond description. The king of Hungary assembled his Magyars to arrest their progress, but his army was massacred, and he himself narrowly escaped capture. His ambassadors came to Frederick and besought him to come to their king's deliverance and avert the disaster that was threatening the empire. But Frederick was chained to Italy. He knew from experience that the fact that he was fighting the cause of Christendom 
would not debar the Pope from taking immediate advantage of his absence. We remember, he said to the ambassadors, that when we sailed to Palestine, that dearest father of ours invaded our kingdom with a host of Milanese rebels. The future may be like the past. The papal party would have been only too pleased to see him withdraw his hated presence from Italy, and as he refused to accommodate them in the matter they retaliated, by accusing him of having himself invited the Tartar horde into Europe for some ends of his own. Frederick disdained to reply to such a charge. He could not lead the imperial armies against the Tartars himself, but he had every confidence in the power of the Germans to stem the tide of paganism. He commanded them to rally round his son Conrad and march to defend the borders of the empire. Later, he sent Enzo with 4,000 knights to assist the German forces. At the same time, he sent a circular letter to the monarchs of Christendom and urged them to unite to repel the common foe. He himself, he said, was prevented by the Pope's animosity from leading his armies against them. O oh God, how much and how often have we been willing to humiliate ourselves, giving vent to every kind of good feeling in order to prevail upon the Roman pontiff to desist from giving cause of scandal throughout the world by his enmity against us, and place the bounds of moderation upon his ill-advised violence, in order that we might pacify our lawful subjects and govern them in a state of peace. But he has ordered a crusade to be published against me, who am an arm and advocate of the church, which it was his duty and would have become him better to put in practice against the Tartars. He exults in the rebellion of our subjects, who are conspiring against our honor and fame, and as it is our most urgent business to free ourselves from enemies at home, how shall we repel these barbarians as well? Nevertheless, we have turned our attention to both matters, and with the help of God's providence will apply our strength and industry to avert the scandal to the church caused on one side by our enemies, and on the other by these savages. We have therefore expressly sent our beloved son Conrad and other chiefs of our empire with a strong force to meet and check the attacks and violence of these barbarians. We most sincerely adjure your majesty to prepare us as soon as possible a complete force of brave knights and soldiers and a good supply of arms we trust in christ that these tartars are to be driven back to their own tartarus satan himself has lured them hither to die before the victorious eagles of imperial europe when germany rising with rage and zeal to battle and france that mother and nurse of chivalry, the warlike and bold Spain, with fertile England, valorous in its men and protected by its fleet, Almain, full of impetuous warriors, maritime Denmark, untamable Italy, Burgundy, that never knows peace, restless Apulia, with the piratical and unconquered islands of the Grecian, Adriatic, and Tyrensees, Crete, Cyprus, and Sicily, when bloodthirsty Ireland with nimble whales, Scotland abounding in lakes, icy Norway, and every noble and renowned country lying under the royal star of the West, shall send forth their chosen soldiery, preceded by the symbol of the life-giving cross, which strikes awe into rebels, 
ay, and into opposing devils. The letter called forth little response, and it was left to Germany to save Europe. From Vienza, Frederick sent detailed directions to Conrad and the princes. The Tartars, however, seemed to realize that in the empire they would meet a stout foe, and though they actually besieged a fortress in Austria, they retreated upon the advance of Conrad and the duke of that province. They then hovered on the borders for about two years, and eventually retired into the darkness of the Asiatic wilderness, and Frederick was not called upon to lead Western Europe against the heathen. In the meantime, while Frederick was slowly starving the men of Faenza into submission, while he was providing for the defense of his empire against the Tartars, a new measure of enmity had been designed by Gregory and had been countered by Frederick with no gentle hand, and instead of leaving his Italian dominions to the tender mercies of the Pope, while he marched into Germany to repel the barbarians, he led his army from Faenza to Rome. End of section 22